Hello, hello. Let me tell you, <laughs> this was a week. Ugh. I am coming to you to talk about the story that we tell ourselves probably more than we don't that I am not a good mother. And if it doesn't show up like that, um, it shows up like I'm doing a bad job. What am I doing wrong? Um, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Why are my kids acting this way? That is what we're talking about because I need to hear this just as much or more than anybody else. And that's really how I pick my topics week by week. I will suggest two things <laughs> that if you're feeling like you're in the same boat as me, um, just tired more than you're energized, irritated more than peaceful, angry more than happy, short on everything, physically just not feeling great. Um, kids were having a tough time. They are melting. They have had enough. This time of year is hard just getting through school on a regular year, but then there's this year. And two things, if you're feeling any of those. One, I would not watch Stepmom because I cried most of the movie yesterday, or maybe watch it. Number two, your car is a great place to lose your beep. Um, I had such a big car cry meltdown this week. I feel like my car has been this place of, um, it's been utilized this year more than ever. I feel like I've eaten just as many meals in my car that I have at the dinner table. And it's been a drive-in. We've watched movies in there and just drove around and... I don't know. My car is a hobby this year. But it was also the place where I just, I needed a good cry, I guess. And I didn't realize how much I needed it until I talked to, I was talking to somebody and telling her all the things that I'm feeling and struggling with and just lost it, just sobbed. Um. So, you know, your car is there for you if you need it. So this week, um... That sums up this week and the story of I am not a good mother. Um, we, it's interesting and I want to be careful to tell my story without, without telling more than I should with my kids, but we've had some struggles with some grades and, you know, finding that balance of, um, freedom yet guidance and, how much to hover, how much to intervene, how much to let them do their own thing. And and so it was a lot of communication with a lot of adults this week, asking for help and talking to teachers and that sort of thing. And one of the replies I got back from one of them was how a mom that we both both know used to always tell her kids, remember who you are. And that really resonated with me because honestly, um, I forgot the past couple weeks, honestly, that my job is to give my kids space, space to find themselves, space to be themselves. I let my ego and my vision take over. And um, I think this happens so easily. But today I am thankful for my crazy kids and how they're constantly teaching me lessons 
if and when I'm paying attention. So with momhood today, we are talking about kind of with the remember who you are. My thing that um, I, I preach to the kids is that their only have to in life is to find who they are and, and stay true to yourself. And where I go in and where I need to be careful is to be mindful and cautious when I am parenting from the ego. And any time, when I say um, parenting from the ego, that is when you're just trying to prove or trying to blend in or trying to get praise or trying to do the quote-unquote right thing. And it's not so much what you do, but why you're doing it. And I think a lot of times we think our kids should be doing all this stuff, like going out for the sport, going out for the activity, being in band, getting straight A's, volunteering, showing up early, showing up late, wearing the nice clothes, being color coordinated in the outfits, you know, like all that stuff is great if you're doing it because you enjoy it or they enjoy it. But if you're doing it because you think you have to do it, I think that's where we get off track and we start focusing on worldly things and it shifts where our um it shifts where our compass should be directed if that makes sense and and that's that's where i was so a little background story quick story um i have talked i talked last week about glennon doyle being one of my favorite authors who her most recent book was untamed and i if you have not read this book read it or listen to it. If you're looking for a gift to buy any woman, buy that book. It is so good and I can't say enough about it. But she was on her Instagram account a couple weeks ago and she uh, said, I have so many women coming to me saying, I don't know, I think I want to be a writer. I think I'm a writer, but I don't know if I'm a writer, if I should be a writer. How do I know? And so she used the, the, the analogy um, because she's a recovering alcoholic. She said, let me tell you this. People that wonder if they're alcoholics or spend time questioning that space if they abuse alcohol are alcoholics. In other words, if you don't have a problem with alcohol use, You're not running around questioning throughout the day. Hmm, I wonder if I have a problem with alcohol. If you're wondering if you're an alcoholic, you probably are. And so she used that same thinking with being a writer. She's like, if you're wondering if you're a writer and you enjoy that process, but don't know if you're an author, don't know if you're a writer, you're a writer. And the same thing I would equate to being a quote-unquote good mom. If you're wondering or worried or thinking, am I a good mom? I guarantee you, you're working your tail off and you're doing your best and your best is enough and your best looks different every minute of every day. And so you just need to meet yourself where you are and give yourself that grace to say, my best is enough. This is my best. Sometimes my best is... (laughs) Two weeks ago, it was we decided not to cook a single meal at night. We did take out every single night. Okay? 
So it goes back to lowering that bar when we need to, to make things okay enough because our best is going to be different all the time. And a lot of us are maxed out right now. And so giving ourselves grace during that, during that struggle. So um, the other thing I wanted to pull from was there is a book that really I connected with that I would recommend that I'm just going to read a few parts from called Grace for the Good Girl. And it's about letting go of the try hard life by Emily Freeman. And she talks a lot about these masks that we wear and to cover up and to hide behind and how we all are just trying to be good and trying to be good for approval and good never being enough. So really good can be such a just such a messy label and a high expectation and a high bar that really isn't even attainable for for most of the time. And so that I want to read just a little excerpt from there and and then um, go into a story from the Bible and then wrap it up for the day. But how do I how do I even begin? I'm sorry, I'm struggling here. If you can't tell, <laughs> um, she goes to say, I, I could read this whole book out loud because it's just that good, but we live and breathe and move on this terrestrial masquerade ball, longing to display the prettied up, exaggerated version of ourselves to everyone else. Behind my pretty masks, I was a worried, anxious wreck of a girl. I carried the weight of the world on my shoulders, as well as that of Mars, the moon, and half of Jupiter. Although I had accepted Jesus at age seven, I didn't know what it meant to walk with him. I spent most of my time stumbling behind him, just trying to catch up. So it goes into these different masks that we wear to prove ourselves and to prove our worth. And she says, there isn't any other way to say it. Jesus makes it safe to walk out from under that system. We have a God who sees and cares and notices. He will not come undone. He he remains unoverwhelmable. Behind the mask, you are just a woman who longs to believe that Jesus makes a difference. The cross gives us permission to sit down on the inside because we have a God who knows what he's doing. Allow him to look beyond the girl made hiding places you have so carefully constructed. I know it goes against all the words the world says are admirable, self-reliant, capable, and strong, and resilient, but I am in desperate need of a source outside of myself all the time, and so are you. I believe women need to talk about the ways we hide, that longing to be known, the fear and the knowing. Beyond that, I believe in the life-giving power of story, in the beauty of vulnerability, and in the strength that is found in weakness. In order to explore the truth, we have to put words and images on those ingrained beliefs we have about God and what he expects of us. We have to expose the invisible expectations and desires we know are there, but may not have the words for yet. So she goes in and she says, if the masks we wear are the false identities we show the world, then our performance is the rubber band that holds them in place. I, pref- I perform so you will like me. 
I perform so you think I'm okay. I perform because it's comfortable. I perform to prove my worth to you, to God, and to myself. I perform because I don't know how not to. When bad girls perform to get their needs met, they get in trouble. When girl, good girls perform to get the same thing, we get praise. It seems to work, therefore it's acceptable. So we keep right on with life and our masks mix with our personality and circumstance. And before we know it, we don't even know who we really are. And nobody else does either. And the last part I'll read. I'm so, I could like cry right now. <laughs> it's just so, I think it's just so good. Um, but she goes on and she talks about all the different titles and all the different masks. But I'm sticking to just a few pages from The Good Mom that I think you might be able to connect to if you're a mother. The life of a young mother can be a very dark place to live. People don't really talk about that at baby showers. Those early days are filled with doubt, fear, worry, and lots of epic failures. Pregnancy brought with it all kinds of crazy. I felt sick all the time and quickly began to resent the loss of appetite, energy, and perceived control. From the first twinge of guilty resentment, I felt during month three of that twin pregnancy, I just knew I would never be good mom, no matter how much I thought I should be. Good mom makes breakfasts and smiles a lot. Good mom always remembers to notice, compliment, and courage. She's fun and funny. She plays dolls with pleasure and even makes suggestions for pretend scenarios to make the play go longer. Her patience is limitless and she never raises her voice. She wakes up early every morning and spends time with Jesus. She's consistent and kind. She makes cookies from scratch. She plays outside even when it's really hot. She builds forts with blankets in the living room. Her house is always clean. Her produce is always fresh. And she has gardens with flowers and vegetables. She can sing. She makes puppets out of socks. Her kids never watch TV because they're totally satisfied to listen to the riveting, captivating stories to their good mom makes up every night. And then there's me. I haven't worn matching socks in three years. I pulled out nine individual socks from my drawer the other day. Nine. All different. My kids fight. A lot. They call each other the biggest insult in a kindergarten-level arsenal. Baby. And they all hate to be called babies. So, of course, that is the first line of defense when provoked. And it makes me crazy. I've had the same butter knife in my dishwasher for two weeks. So my unidentifiable food unidentifiable food is stuck to one side. It's just too much to wash by hand. And my car has ants. With each small discouragement, be it the messy state of my house, the messy state of my heart, I feel a little more less than, a little further from good mom, a little more shamed by her. She stands in my kitchen with a ladle in her hand and her William Sonoma apron on with just enough flour on her nose to prove she's been cooking, but not enough to make her look foolish. And her clean, good kids cling to the apron strings while she looks at me with pity in her eyes and shakes the ladle in my general direction, telling me what a failure I've become. I feel like there is a mom I'm supposed to be, but I will never, ever measure up. <laughs> Resonate at all? And it goes on to say, like, expectations aren't inherently bad, but they're misused by the good girls. Jesus didn't put expectations on himself. He didn't micromanage his own image and constantly try to align his reality with the ideal. 
Our desire to be the good girl, the good Christian, the good wife, and the good mom becomes our number one priority, and Jesus is a demon in the room. Our failures expose us, and so we hide them. We hide us. We work hard to perform the acceptance, and most of the time we don't even realize we are doing it. It has become the natural way of things and the only way we know how to live. So what this week is about is I think there's so many books and so many messages and so much focus about all that we have to do and all that we have to be and it's impossible and I would just love for us to let go of those things and let go of our masks, put the masks down and accept the grace that has already been trying to come to us. We just need to receive it um, and make room for him. Make room for him and make room for the grace and make room for the worthiness. Let go of the shame let go of the anger, let go of the resentment, let go of the proving and make time to just be. We need to learn how to be. So the last part, um, I'm going to read just a short part that comes from John chapter 8 to sum it up. Um, And this goes into the woman that has been caught in adultery. It begins when early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. They told Jesus, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? But they only did this to test him. Tricky people that they might be able to like catch him doing the wrong thing. They were trying to trap him, but they can't trap Jesus because he knows everyone's hearts. For one thing, they brought the woman into the temple to shame her in public and appear to be self-righteous posse that they were. It was more like a lynch mob because they wanted her dead though. They thought they had placed Jesus between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, if Jesus said no to the stoning, they'd accused him of breaking the law of Moses. On the other hand, if Jesus condoned the stoning of the woman, they would then go to the Roman authorities and tell them that Jesus is breaking Roman law, where only the Roman authorities could condemn and kill someone. However, Jesus seems to ignore these self-righteous, self-appointed judges by writing something in the dirt. He wrote, what he wrote was debated in, um, you know, historically. Was it the sins to the, of those who brought the woman he had, that had committed the sin? Was it the names of those who had also committed these sins? The Jews kept badgering Jesus until he finally stood straight up and looked them square in the eye and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. After they were gone, Jesus said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. 
Go, and from now on, sin no more. The hope is that even if you're caught in a serious sin, at a time of public shame and humiliation, there is room for forgiveness, even in the worst of sins. The key is, Jesus tells her, from now on, sin no more. This is a picture of repentance. Jesus was the only one who was without sin, and he was the only one who had been, who had the right to stone her, but he chose not to. He said, instead, neither do I condemn you. Think of his mercy. Think of his forgiveness. Think of his grace. When you feel like you're judging yourself. When you feel like stones should be thrown at you. Or when you're the one throwing stones at yourself. Go to truth. Seek him and accept his love. There is no, nothing else to prove. Our anchor verse for today is Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And another option would be John 3.17. For God didn't send his Son into the world to judge the world but that the world should be saved through him. We are saved. We are saved. Your anchor statements, there are two options. Um, The first one is I accept his grace and leave my shame in the shadows. Or the second one, whichever one resonates with you more, my best looks different every day, but is always enough. So I hope you feel those. I hope you find one that you can anchor to for the week when you find yourself in that judgment and the proving and the pull and the push that you can stop that fight and stop that battle that you will never win. I also hope that you'll spend a little time just maybe reflecting and thinking to yourself or thinking, talking with a friend about maybe what masks you're wearing and and find yourself brave enough to be vulnerable and put down the mask and just be and and live in that and connect to that without shame um and let yourself be so that is it for today i hope you have a great week i will catch you next weekend